So we talked about six things, or I was giving you six disciplines that I want you to begin to put into practice that are, are, are similar to that mechanical force or, or that are going to stir up the spirit inside of you for God's spirit to begin to move, to produce life, and to produce power from within, right? Okay, is everybody with me? So that's kind of what we've been talking about. And last week I talked about the word, the word of God. The word of God is like the bread that we eat. And as we consume that bread, uh, which is basically, in other words, food for our spirit, it will be strong, right? That if you don't feed the spirit, it's going to be weak. It's going to be starving. It's going to die. But if you feed the spirit, it's going to be strong, right? So we compared the word of God or the Bible, in other words, uh, to, to that food that we need in order for our spirit to be strong. Today, we're going to be talking about prayer. What are we talking about? Prayer. prayer. Alrighty. And so, um, first thing I want to say is that prayer is a conversation. Okay? Prayer is a conversation. And the reason why I'm putting it in these terms is because for many of us, uh, prayer is these different things. Uh, so, for example, we've learned to pray mechanically. Uh, if you are like me, I come from a very Catholic family or very Catholic background. I was taught to pray since I was a little kid. And how was I taught to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I was also taught to pray the Hail Mary. Uh, and I was also taught to pray to the, an angel that supposedly guards me or something like that. Uh, Angel de la Guarda or something like that. So I don't know, if, did, did anybody pray this at any point in their lives? Okay, so I don't know about you, but they never told me that prayer was talking to God. They told me that prayer was repeating these things, right? And when you were finished, if you want to pray more, you just pray it again, right? Even if you sinned, let's say, and you went and did a confession at the church, uh, part of the punishment was like you have to do 15 the Lord's prayers and 10 Hail Marys. So prayer was just repeating these things over and over and over again, basically. That's kind of my concept of prayer. As I became a Christian... Uh, there's other things that I begin to think, like prayer is thanking God for your food. So most Christians would pray before they eat a meal, right? Do you ever do that? For a lot of people, that's kind of their routine prayer. Uh, if I'm honest with you, even though I'm the pastor, sometimes I don't pray for my food, if I'm frank with you. So sometimes when I'm eating with people, when we go out or when we come to my house or whatever, and I just start biting into things and I haven't prayed, people are like, Pastor, you forgot to pray. And I'm like, oops, you know, but sometimes I pray, sometimes I don't for the food. I'm always thankful, though, which is the Bible, that's what the Bible says, to eat it with thanksgiving. It doesn't say you need to say a word of prayer every single time you're going to put a thing in your mouth. But uh, the reason why I'm, I'm saying this is not that it's wrong, but we've learned to do things religiously. We've learned to repeat things and just say things that don't really sometimes make sense or that don't have any impact or, or, or don't have a lot of value in our lives simply because we just learn to do things uh, as a routine. Having said that, uh, I, I'm going to go deeper a little bit into what prayer is today. And I hope this helps you and I hope you put it into practice. But uh, today is going to be, I'm going to talk about prayer in a deeper way. Not just that prayer that we usually do when we ask for things or we ask for things. But how to pray in a deeper way. And so let's get started. Prayer, first thing, is a conversation with God, of course, in this case. But there's an intention to that conversation. Let me ask you, when you talk to somebody, do you ever have an intention? For example, if you go to a job interview, you're going to have a conversation. What's your intention? To get the job, right? Yeah? If you like somebody and you go have a conversation, what's your intention? You want to holler at them, right? You want to see if you get their attention back, right? You want to you wanna, uh, them to reciprocate that attention or that desire to be with you. So having said that, prayer is a conversation. 
Now, what kind of conversation or what's the objective of this conversation? It's two, two things to it. Number one, it's to get to know him, in this case, God, to get to know. And number two, to come into agreement. It's two purposes of prayer. Okay? To get to know God and to come into agreement with Him. And to align ourselves with Him. So I'm going to make a parallel today between a, a relationship, between a guy and a girl. Um, I, I will even say a couple that are married. And the reason why I'm doing that is because the Bible actually calls us the bride of Christ. You're his girlfriend. You're dating. And not only is there's courtship, now you're engaged and we're going to marry him. So God is basically comparing our relationship to him as a, as a husband and wife relationship, okay? So I'm going to make some parallels. But prayer is one of the most basic and, and, and fundamental things to any believer. If you're not praying, I doubt that you're a Christian. Or if you're not praying, you know, what kind of Christian are you? So prayer is essential. Now, last week I said that prayer, uh, sorry, last week I said that the word is like eating, remember? So prayer is like digesting. Okay? I remember one day my brother made, uh, he, he started going to culinary school. And he came back all happy. He's like, dude, I learned to make pizza. This and that. And I know how to make bread. He's like, we should make some pizzas. It's like, you need the best pizza ever. I'm like, sure. So he got me to go and buy all these ingredients. And I went and spent like 150 bucks. Most expensive pizza I ever ate. Anyway, I come back home. And he's making the dough. And he's all excited. And we're going to have his pizza. And so he makes the dough. We cooked the pizza. We ate it. It was fantastic. Delicious. About an hour later, I'm going to die. I'm like, oh, my God. And my belly hurts like crazy. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I got constipated. I couldn't go to the washroom for like three, four days. It was terrible. Very tasty, but one of the worst pizzas I ever had. I almost died. Now, guess what happened? I, he didn't know, even though he learned how to make bread, that when you make pizza dough, you have to let it rest. And usually it's one day to the next. So he made it, he put yeast in it, we cooked it and ate it, and the yeast started expanding in our stomach. So whatever we ate, the freaking thing started getting huge inside, and we were dying. It hurt. It was physical pain. Why am I telling you a story? It's not only important to eat. It's important to digest. If you eat a lot, but you don't digest properly, you get sick. So just as important as eating is digesting. And the way our body works, food goes into our stomach. We break it down with our mouth. It goes into smaller pieces into our stomach. And we have gastric fluids, which basically break down the food even further. It goes into different organs and whatever. But primarily, I want to talk about the intestines. Part of it goes or all of it goes through the small intestine where the body will extract all the vitamins and proteins and everything that is good in the food, everything that it needs. Anything that it doesn't need, it will go to the large intestine and it will get spit out by the body or pooped out in this case. That's kind of how it works. Why am I saying this? As we read the Word of God, you have to digest it. You can't just keep it inside of you. The Bible actually says this in the book of Corinthians. Uh, this is Corinthians 3, verse 6. It says, for the letter or the law kills, or much letter kills. So a lot of knowledge, biblical knowledge, can kill you if you're not digesting properly. But the Spirit brings life. And so you don't only have to learn Bible, you have to digest it. You have to be able to process it. 
that it becomes beneficial to you. Because if you just have a lot of head knowledge regarding the Bible, regarding the law, regarding Scripture, you can become a religious person. You can become somebody who chokes other people's faith, who's very dogmatic and maybe just lives by a bunch of rules, set of rules that they've learned. But it's not a relationship. I'm going to read that whole verse to you, actually. It says, He has qualified us, made us sufficient, as ministers of the new covenant of salvation through Christ. Not of the letter, in other words, not of a written code, but of the Spirit. For the letter, or the law, kills. And it's here's in parentheses, um, or in brackets, and this, I'm reading from the Amplified Translation, but it says, Revealing sin and demanding obedience kills a person. Now it's crazy, because for most of us, being a Christian really has to do with knowing what sin is and what is not, and following a bunch of rules. And the Bible is telling us, knowing what sin is, and following all those rules will kill you. So I want to make a parallel today. I'm a married guy. And there's things that I don't do in my marriage, not because they're rules. You know, I never read a rule when I got married, nor did I ever sign a paper that said, you cannot go out with your friends on Friday night. I never signed that. It was never a rule. But sometimes, because, you know, half of my friends are married now, half of them are still single and ready to mingle. And so sometimes the single guys are like, man, let's go out and let's have fun, let's do this. And most times, even though I go sometimes, most times I don't go. And why I don't go? It's not that there's a rule that I can't go. It's that my wife is at home. And so I don't have a prohibition that I can't do it. It's just I consider my wife, and I know, hey, man, she's been alone. She probably wants to see me. She probably wants to do something too. So oftentimes I'll end up going home just to spend that time with my wife, not because there's a rule about it. It's because I want a better relationship. I want to get closer to her. I want us to build something. I want this to be for the long run. And because I consider this person and I want to be closer to this person, I try to do things that, that are caring and thoughtful and special towards her. Does that make sense? What am I saying with this? If you live a relationship based on rules, you're going to kill your relationship. Don't do this. You can't do that. Because it, it will be like you're forced into things as opposed to you wanting to do certain things. I'm not saying that rules are bad. Every relationship should have a set of rules. For example, you shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't do this. Uh, you know, they're, they're, for example, in our house, we say, well, we don't stay, at, you know, just not show up at home, right? We show up at home. <laughs> or if we're going out, we're doing something different, we'll call and let the other person. So there are rules. I'm not saying there's, it's wrong to have rules in the relationship. What I'm saying is you don't live by rules alone. And, and the thing that makes those rules actually worth it and function and, and be healthy is love, care. And it's the, the intention to care for the other person. Or to be thoughtful towards the other person more than the rule itself. Because again, if you just do it by rules alone, the relationship chokes. Having said that, the Bible is telling us the same in regards to God. If your relationship with God is based on not sinning, following a bunch of rules, that's not a good relationship. You might think you're a great Christian, but you have a sucky relationship. A lot of people say, I'm a good husband. Why? I go home. I don't cheat. I pay the bills. Nobody's needing anything. Yeah, but maybe your wife doesn't feel close to you. Maybe you have no conversation. Maybe you don't feel loved. That doesn't make you a good husband. It makes you a responsible one, but not a good one. And so we have a lot of responsible Christians, but not good Christians. 
Because maybe you come to church, you follow rules, you read your Bible, you don't sin, you don't do a lot of things. But that doesn't mean that there's closeness to God. And God saved you, not that you could follow rules. He saved you because he wanted you to get close. He wants you to be his child. He wants to be your father. Imagine a kid that goes home every day, does his homework, does his chores, but doesn't even say hi to dad. Have zero conversation, have no relationship. You wouldn't want to live with a stranger that behaves. You want your son, right? Same thing with God. So having said that, uh, we got to understand that there's a big, con or big parallel. There's or, or, or a lot of similarities between the husband and wife relationship and that God relationship. You're always looking, as a husband, you should be looking out anyway, for the goodness, for the well-being, for pleasing your wife. I'll give you an example. Does anybody here like Earl's, the restaurant? My wife loves Earl's because they, they have this thing called Pokeball. And to her, that's the best Pokeball in town. For me, Earl's, it's like we have like a love and hate relationship with Earl's. Because I like it, but there's nothing that I love. Most restaurants that I go to, there's like this one thing that I, that I love. Like I find a plate and I stick to it. I'm committed to it. Anytime I go to a particular restaurant, I have a thing that I'm going to order. That's it. At Earl's, I've eaten the entire menu once or twice or thrice. And I haven't yet found that thing that I really love. So it's like, let's go to Earl's and I don't know what to pick. Because there's a lot of good things, but there's nothing that I love. Why am I saying this? I don't love going to Earl's. But I go happy and glad. Why? Because my wife absolutely loves it. So you know when I want to do something special for her, I'll call her up and be like, then I would get it ready. I'm going to take you somewhere. Where do I take her? Earl's. Why? I know. She loves Earl's. I don't love Earl's. But she does. If it's for me, I pick a steakhouse every single time. Let's go get steak. My wife doesn't love steak. But guess what? When my life, when my wife is feeling hubby dubby, you know, she wants to do something nice for me, she's like, honey, let's go get a steak. I'm like, hallelujah. <laughs> so there's sometimes she does it because she wants to see me happy. And sometimes I do it because I want to please her too. You get the concept. In other words, this is not about what I like, this is about our relationship. And because of our relationship, there's things that I don't necessarily love, but that I'm willing to do because it makes her happy and I do it gladly. And the same thing with God. You're not always going to want to do everything that God asks you to do, but you do it with love and you do it with kindness and you do it with joy because you love Him and you want to please Him. And that's how the relationship works. And so when prayer has that intention, it's different. How do you know what He likes? That's what prayer is about. Remember I said prayer... Is, is a conversation with an intention. What's the intention? To get to know Him and to do His will. When I pray, it's not about what I want. It's not about me saying, I want steak, I want steak, I want steak, I want steak. It's about saying, what do you like? Where would you like to go? What do you enjoy? And you might say, man, even though that's not my favorite thing, it's okay. Let's do it. Another thing that happened in a relationship, I remember when I first met my wife, she really liked sushi. I mean, I, I love sushi, sorry. She hated sushi. She didn't even like it. And so all the time she wanted to eat beans, rice, arepa, and like, you know, straight bandeja paisa. Like, that's it. That's all she liked. And I'm just like, that's not my thing. You know, I can eat it once or twice, but I don't love it. I'm not, even though I'm Colombian, I, Colombian food's not great for me. And so she, you know, I want to go eat sushi. And she's like, oh, I hate sushi. I hate sushi. But one day I'm like, dude, we've been eating bandeja paisa for like a couple weeks now. Can we just... Do something that I like for once. But anyway, she's like, oh, it's raw fish. So I got smart, right? I'm like, well, just mango rolls, straight mango roll. I know she likes mango, so I'm like, okay, no, 
no uh, dead fish or <laughs> no raw fish or whatever. Anyway, I started picking different kinds of sushis. I said, try this, try that. And I picked the things I knew she was going to like. What ended up happening is by spending time with me and by doing something that I liked that she didn't necessarily like, she started loving sushi. Today, she likes sushi so much so that sometimes I have to tell her, honey, I don't want sushi again. Like, you want to have it every freaking day? I want to eat something different. Every time we're going to go out, she's like, let's go to Fusion. I'm like, I don't want to go to Fusion. Like, we go all the time. She loves sushi now. Why am I telling you this? Another parallel. When you spend time with a person that you love and you enjoy doing things with them, you start liking the things they like. And the things that maybe you didn't like before, you start enjoying them. You develop similar taste. Why am I saying this? Remember what I talked about? It's a conversation that where you get to know and where you come into agreement. I want you to know this. God knows you more than you know yourself. God knows the things you like more than the things that you think you like. God, God has ideas and dreams and plans for you that maybe you haven't even thought of yet. But that He created for you. And so when we pray, we got to understand it's not about God getting to know us. It's about us getting to know Him and know His plans. Why? Because my best interest is already contemplated in His plans. My best future is already contemplated on His plans. The things that I'm really going to like, that I don't even know that I like yet, He already knows that I'm going to love it. And sometimes He has to be the one to tell me, like my wife, her favorite food is sushi. She would have never discovered it if I didn't force her to go to eat sushi. So many times God will have you do things and ask you for things that don't seem reasonable, that you don't like, that you think you hate, that are hard for you at the very moment, and they're different than what you think you like, and that's okay. Just let Him guide you. Why? Because you're going to like it. You're eventually going to like it. God will never ask you to do something or take something from you. It's not to give you something better. So many times we talk on the death part. Oh, fallen Christ is death. is sacrifice. You got to give it all. You got to lay it down. Yes, the Bible says that and Jesus definitely said it. But He also said this. There's no one, not one person that will lay something down for me that is not going to get a hundredfold on this earth and in the kingdom to come. That means there's a reward. That means there's a great aspect to the story. That in the measure that I lay down and sacrifice, I will also be rewarded. And I'm also going to find very significant things. You get where I'm going with this. And so when we pray, we shouldn't be afraid for God to ask us anything. A lot of people are afraid to ask God to show you His will. Or to tell you what to do. Or to guide you. Or to do the things that He asks you. Why are you so afraid? Can you not believe and trust that He has His best interest in mind for you? When you go to Him, go with that faith. So you will never be afraid of anything He asks you. And yes, sometimes it will be difficult. Yes, sometimes it might seem like a challenge. Yes, sometimes it's going to feel contrary to whatever you think you like or you feel. But that's alright. Because He's only taking you to discover a greater side of you that you don't even know. And so prayer... Always has to have this, this intention. I want to get to know you and I want to get to know your will. Why? Because you know me better than I know myself. Because everything you tell me will be greater than anything I ever hoped for or imagined. And when that's your stance, when that's your faith, you, you go gladly, you go with expectation, and you go with faith that good things are coming, not terrible things. I see so many people that are terrified of the will of God. Oh, what if he asks me to leave everything? That's fine. Oh, what if he asks me to go somewhere? It'll be a better place. Oh, what if he asks me to leave this job? Are he going to get you some better? Don't be afraid. Because the moment you enter prayer with fear, with a holdback, 
with regard or with, with a wall, it's the moment that you can't hear him clearly. Are you with me? And so prayer is the greatest way to get closer to God. And it's the easiest way to learn what pleases him. And so when we pray, we got to understand what's happening. The, the concept of prayer is allowing our spirit, remember, not our body, not our soulish area, which is our mind and our heart, but, but the heart that the Bible talks about, the, 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 um, in other words, the depth of your being or your spirit being, to connect with his spirit. That's what prayer is. And so prayer is not a physical thing that we do. Prayer is a spiritual thing that we do. What I say this, some people pray physically. For example, you go for lunch, the pastor's there, so you're like, Father, thank you for this meal. I bless it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You prayed with your physical. That wasn't no spiritual prayer. You, who are you kidding? You're just doing it mechanically. Prayer is not a physical thing that we do. It's a spiritual thing that we do. Now, I want to tell you this. You can do things physically and not do them spiritually. Like, for example, has anybody ever asked you for something and you give it to him because you don't want to feel embarrassed or you feel committed to it, but you don't really feel like it? So your spirit's not fully with it, but you're still doing it physically. You know what I mean? But it's different when you do things spiritually. Why? Because anytime you do something spiritually, it will, follow, it will be followed up by a physical action. You know what I mean? If you have a desire and a deep intent to do something, you will usually follow it. With what you do. This is why the Bible says, a man is how he thinketh in his heart. In other words, a man ends up doing with his body whatever he feels like in his spirit. Does that make sense? So when you feel something in the spirit, you will usually follow up with actions. But there's sometimes that you do a lot of actions where your heart is not in it. So I'll go into that in a little bit. But what I want you to understand is that prayer, the concept of prayer is connecting your spirit to the spirit of God. To get to know him and to learn his will. And how do you do that? You kind of learn that through time, through practice, through discipline, to relate to him spiritually. Why am I saying that? Because most people know how to pray physically. For example, you know how to go to church. Some people do the whole thing. Some people go on their knees. You know how to say the right words. You know how to say the right things. I remember when I first became a Christian at our church in Toronto. Probably Leecho remembers too. Because we, we became Christian almost at the similar time. But we used to have a lot of prayer groups and intercession meetings. And there was this old lady, or older lady, she was about this tall. And uh, she used to be like the lead of the prayer warriors, right? And she'd go in there and she'd be like, Magnificent Father, hallowed are thy. And I'm like, whoa, this lady can pray, dude. Because I was just blown away by the incredible words that she was using. And we used to kind of go in a circle, and then everybody had to take a turn and pray. And they'd get to me, and I'd be like, hi, God. Uh, I don't really know what to say. Uh, I don't know a lot of those words, but I love you. You know, help me. I you know, and I would feel like I was so stupid. I'm like, dude, I, that's the worst prayer ever. Because I didn't have the fancy words. And, you know, they, they would kind of go like this and prostrate themselves and... I didn't really feel like kneeling because my knee hurt. So I would stand and then I'm like, did I sin? And I felt like I was so less spiritual than they were. Now, this is not a comparison. But through the months, the Lord began to show me things. He began to use me prophetically. He began to heal people through my life. The power of the Holy Spirit started manifesting in my life. And a lot of those same people that were in those prayer meetings began to attack me and question me. And say, it's not fair. We pray more than you. We've been doing this longer than you. 
And I'm like, and I kind of felt bad on the outside. Inside, I felt really good. I was like, oh, God, you're using me. Thank you. You know, you're filling me up with your spirit. Until I understood something. There's a, part, there's a portion in the Bible uh, where there's a, a prophet. God says, go to the house of uh, David's father. I forget his name right now. Uh, but, but he says, go to David's house or his father's house. What's his name? No, Eli, no. It's close to Eli. It's not Eli, though. Ah, you got me thinking about it now. But I want to deviate it. I'll tell you a name later. But it's not Eli. Uh, anyway, go to, go to his house. And I'm going to name one of his sons king. So he sees this guy, big, brave, everything, you know. And then he's like, oh, this must be the king. So the Lord says, no, no. Anyway, he goes through all the list of kids. And Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. Anyway, so he goes to Jesse's kids, names all the kids, nothing. And then turns out to be David, short, scrawny guy, pastoring sheep. So that's the king. But the Lord says something to him that helped me understand. He says, man, look at the outer appearance, but God judges the heart. And that's where I understood my spiritual life or my prayer life, my walk with God is not measured so much by the things that I, that I make other people believe. It's, it does, it's not, God's not going to judge it by the way it looks. Some people seem a lot more spiritual than others. What actually determines the spiritual life is the spirit. God judges the heart. God sees the depths. And in the depths of my heart, God knew something. For example, in that example I was telling you, I, this was my prayer, even though I didn't know how to pray. I said, God, I'm so tired of my life. I've really messed it up. If you have a different life for me, whatever you ask of me, I will do it. Whatever you want for me, count me in. I just want to know your will. I don't want to do my will. I just want to do whatever you tell me. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Whatever you ask me to give, I will give. And that was my sincere heart. So again, I'm not, I don't want to compare myself to others. But I did realize something. God was seeing a, a, a more genuine prayer as opposed to a more eloquent prayer. And what I'm trying to say with this is God is looking for people who are actually hungry for him. Who want to know him and want to do his will. Not that know a lot of lingo and special wording and fancy words and who say the right things and who, and who look the best or whatever or look more spiritual than others. It's about the heart. It's a matter of the heart. I want to go, uh, go with me to John 4, 23 to 24. John 4, 23 to 24. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but a time is coming and a time is already here when true worshipers, say with me, true worshipers. For him to make a contrast and say true worshipers, that means there's false worshipers. Say it means false worshipers. Say it. False worshipers. True worshipers. Now ask your neighbor, which one are you? True or false? Okay. So true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. How does a true worshiper worship? In spirit and in truth. The Father seeks such worshipers. In other words, God wants this kind of people. Because God is a spirit, the Bible is saying. And those who worship Him must worship Him. How? In spirit and in truth. That's great. God is a spirit. If you want to connect to His spirit, how do you have to do it? Through your spirit. Not through your body. And so we've learned a lot of mechanical and physical prayer. With our head, with whatever we're currently feeling, but not spiritual prayer. 
And so today, I'm going to keep going deeper, but we're going to, I'm going to talk to you about spiritual prayer. How to do spiritual prayer as opposed to mental prayer or, or feelings prayer. Because if you pray with your mind, you're praying. But he says, the true worshiper, the true believer will do it from his spirit. Not from their mind. Not from whatever they feel. Not from their flesh. You get it? And most of us have been doing that. Like when you pray, what do you usually pray for? What I want, what I need, people who need help, and for a good day. That's your flesh. That will make you, I don't want to judge anybody, but it will make you a false worshiper. Because you're worshiping you. Faker. <laughs> you get it? The true worshiper will do it from the spirit. So, we live in a natural world, right? A physical world. And whether we like it or not, the world gets more and more natural or more and more physical as days go by. What I mean by that? For example, 100 years ago, you went to a store. There was 10 things to buy. Right now you go, there's gazillions. If you scroll on Amazon, it's endless, the amount of products and things you can buy. The whole world is, is moving in a direction where it stimulates our, our natural senses a lot more than ever before. And as we've done that, we've turned people we've kind of turned off the spiritual side to our being. People are less and less spiritual as the days go by. And one thing that gives testament of this, if you look at statistics, people are more agnostic and, and, and people are more, um, what do you call people that don't believe in God? More atheist and agnostic than ever before. Before, that was a very small percentage of the population. Today, even they call it humanistic. No. Today's like 50% of people or young people identify with not having a faith, not believing in anything. It's being humanistic. They believe in man. So what I'm trying to say is the world is moving away from being spiritual. People don't know how to be spiritual anymore. And I want to give you a few examples. But for say, before we had time to meditate, you would go out. You didn't have an iPod. You didn't have headphones. You didn't have a, a phone. There was no way for you to be listening to music outside unless you carried a, you know, and you turned it manually. <laughs> and so... You see some guys in the, in the videos, the black guys, the big boombox, right? But <laughs> there's, we don't know how to meditate. People are afraid of silence now. There's always noise. Before, there was a lot of silence. We didn't have mobile devices and we couldn't take sounds everywhere we went. And so people learn to be silent. And what happens when you're silent and there's no noise around you? You start thinking. And you know what people used to think about? their life, what they're doing, who's up there, what is life about. Today we don't have time to meditate. Because anytime, and you got five seconds, you're not doing anything, you look at your phone. You turn on a podcast. You listen to music. Even if it's Christian music. Even if it's a Christian podcast. I'm not saying they're bad, but we can't even be silent for five seconds. You turn something on. You open up an app, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Me, Facebook Marketplace. I'm always looking for stuff to buy. I don't know. <laughs> buy and sell, buy and sell. You know, but we're always looking at things. And we don't know how to spend time with ourselves. And a big part of connecting with God is connecting with you first. Because if you can't even connect to your own spirit, how do you pretend to connect to the spirit of God? Most people don't know how to connect to their own spirit. And so, we have all this information, we don't know how to meditate. 
You know, before, when we went to a place, we used to look at nature. We used to look at creation and marvel about God. You want to know how I know? Look at all the poems. Look at all the songs that were written before. Look at the book of Psalms. For example, David saw a waterfall and he said, God, your voice is like the thundering of many waters. He would write things like, when I look at the firmament, that's how your thoughts are for me. I can't even count them. Today, you go to Niagara Falls and you see a waterfall. Oh, let me take a selfie real quick, yo. Oh, another angle. Oh, hashtag this. You've never been here before. You know, and boom, boom, boom. And that's it. And you didn't even think about how God made this. You don't even think how it resembles the voice of God. When you go out and see the, the aurora, you're just taking pictures. You tell your friends, oh, I bet you've never seen this. But you're not even saying, wow, God, you are so amazing. The heavens declare your glory because that's what the Bible says. So where I'm going with this is, it's so hard for us to actually connect with God in a spiritual way because we've learned not to be spiritual. We've learned to be material. We've learned to connect in the, the physical aspects of life, but we just forgot how to connect to our spirit. Because meditating, pondering, wondering, marveling, those are spiritual actions. You know, before, you couldn't carry a boombox everywhere you went, like I said. So people would go in groups, and they would make up songs as they go. You look at the Boy Scouts, for example. They're hiking, and one guy will say something, and everybody will sing it back. And they would take turns at doing that. If you look at every tribe, every culture, they had battle songs. They had victory songs. They had songs of celebration. They had sounds and, and instruments. And most people know how to play an instrument, by the way. Today, why don't we learn how to play instruments? Because we could just turn on music. But why am I telling you this? We stop being prophetic. Because allowing your creativity to flow, flowing from the inspiration that is coming into you, and learning to create spontaneously, that's what being prophetic is. And today our creativity shut because we'd rather hear something that some foolish guy made than create something. And so that is also quenching our spirit. And so what, the point I'm trying to make with this is that we forgot how to be spiritual. And we forgot how to connect to our spirit. And therefore, we cannot connect to the spirit of God. And we don't even know how to worship in the spirit. Because we do everything, uh, you know, in the natural, in the physical realm. And so having said that, as we move forward as a humanity, the greater has been our loss for spirituality. And if we actually want to connect with God and we want to go into a deeper and a, in a real mode of prayer, we need to be able to take the natural distractions aside and learn to connect to our spirit and therefore connect to the spirit of God. So you got to be able to disconnect the, the exterior input and connect to the, to the inner things of God. So I want to show you a couple of things about prayer. And, and these are going to be lists and they're going to be quick, I promise. So the first thing I want to do is go to Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus praying. So here I want to give you seven objectives of prayer. Okay? Or seven purposes of why you pray. And I'm going to go quick. They're not going to be lengthy, so just take notes. This is Jesus praying. Now remember, Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He didn't say, repeat this exact thing. 
In other words, he was teaching us, uh, he, he was giving us a mold for prayer, not a hard jacket or a stray jacket. So, in other words, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Look at these seven things. First thing he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or may your name be kept holy. The first thing that he does is worship and praise God. It's to acknowledge God's power and to acknowledge God's sovereignty and rule over man. And he positions himself before God. So the first thing that he does is position himself before God. So why do you pray? To position yourself. Look at what he says. Our Father, I'm your son, you're my dad. Who art in heaven, great is your name. In other words, he's saying, you're greater than me. You are my father. We have a relationship. And I'm here to honor you. Never forget that. So when you pray, anytime you pray, position yourself correctly. Sometimes your ego goes up. The other day I was watching Aladdin with my, uh, with my daughter. And the genie comes out. He's supposed to be the most powerful being in the world. And he comes out and he says, tell me your three wishes. I'll do whatever you say. And sometimes we forget and we break position. It's about his will, not about my will. And so a lot of people go to pray to ask God to do what they want. That's not how this works. That's not what prayer is for. Position yourself. You're my father. I'm your son. You know me better than I know myself. You created me. You're greater than I am. Okay? You need to constantly remind yourself of that. Why? Because pride, because ego, because selfishness is in the human nature, and it tends to take over all the time. When you start doing good, when you start being blessed, when things start going well, sometimes you start forgetting about the God who blessed you and you start focusing on the blessings. And so when you pray, position yourself in God, I'm nothing and I have nothing. It's all yours. It belongs to you. You get that? Two, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. The second thing that Jesus does and the second key is you got to look for God's will, not our will. So here he's talking about priorities. He says the most important thing is for God's kingdom to come to earth. How does that happen? If I live in your will. So when you pray, you don't only position yourself right before God, you set your priorities in order. And that's why we pray every day or continuously because every day I got to check myself and check if I'm living according to these priorities. Am I putting your kingdom first? Am I living for your will or am I asking you to do everything that I want you to do and I have time for you once a week for an hour? Position yourself. Submit to His will. Priorities. Third, give us the food we need. In other words, it's valid to pray for your needs. It's not a wrong thing. But look, your needs are after His will. And you know why? Because many times when you're walking in the will of God, you won't even have to pray for things you need because they will come to you. God says He knows the things you need. And there's many times in my life where I didn't even have to pray for something and it showed up. I need a miracle and it just happened. I never prayed for it. But I was focused on doing his will. He took care of my stuff. You get it? So can you ask for things? Yes, you can. It's valid. He cares about them. But that's secondary to what's his priorities. And usually in our prayer, that's a priority and his will is last. It shouldn't be that way. Fourth, forgive us for our sins. Another thing, another objective of prayer is to ask for forgiveness. Because we sin every day. Look, if you've ever been in a relationship, what happens when you really screw it up? 
and you kind of want to go to your person, but you can't act like nothing happened, right? You kind of got to say, you know what, I'm sorry. Because when you try to act like nothing happened and keep going, the other person usually doesn't take, doesn't take it the right way. They're like, yo, really? So one of the things that's really important in relationships is to acknowledge your wrongs. And same with God. Like if you ever try to go pray after you know you screwed up big time and you're just like, you don't feel right. You're like, you're going to raise your hand and worship and the devil's like, put it down, you sinner. Uh, and so sometimes you just got to go to God and say, I screwed up, man. I'm so sorry. I blew it. But one of the objectives of prayer is to make yourself right before God by asking for forgiveness. Another thing in that same verse, 12. As we forgive those who trespass against us, another objective of prayer is for you to forgive. When you pray, remove, if you're angry, if you're sad, if you're disappointed, if you've judged, if you're bitter, whatever negative emotion towards another person, get that out of the way. Because the Bible says that it will get in the way of God's grace towards you. God's grace is His power. God's grace is His giftings. God's grace is His blessings. So I don't want nothing blocking His power, blocking His gifts, blocking His blessings from my life. Or do you? And so you got to remove anything that gets in the way of you receiving everything He wants to give you. So when you pray, just let go of anything that's in your heart that could be wrong. Because that will keep you from hearing Him correctly. Number six. Do not let us yield into temptation. Another reason why we pray, or objective why we pray, to get wisdom and discernment. To get wisdom and to get discernment. Wisdom is understanding of how to apply the things that God teaches us. Discernment is to be able to, to figure out the dangers before the danger comes. Before you put your foot in the trap. And so when you pray, ask God to give you wisdom to do the things that he's teaching you and ask God to give you discernment to not make mistakes that are going to be accidents or that are going to pull you away from his path. And the last thing he says, rescue us from the evil one. In other words, we're praying for power in order to do what the Bible says. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you got to pray for God to give you power, to give you self-control and to give you the ability to control yourself, to not fall in the devil's trap, to not be captivated by the devil, but to hold strong and hold your position. So those are seven objectives of why we pray. If you look at these seven objectives, I want you to understand something. They all have to do with getting to know God and His will and aligning ourselves to Him. Every single one of them has to do with getting to know Him and aligning ourselves to Him. Do they not? It's like to set yourself on the right position. And so prayer should be a discipline of a believer that he does constantly keeping these things in mind. Why am I praying? I want to get to know God. I want to do His will. I need to keep these seven things on check. I need to position myself. I got to correct myself. I got to forgive. I got to align. I got to get wisdom. I got to get strength to receive. But it all has to do with being able to fulfill His will. What's the objective of all this? To relate and synchronize yourself to God. Sync to Him. So now we're going to change it up. So that, that's, the, that's the theory part. So now I want to give you some 
actual practical things that I want you to start doing. So to increase or to boost your prayer life into going to a deeper level, okay? Are you with me so far? Okay, so we're done with the theory. Now we're going to put it into practice. So prayer is like meditating. Most people don't know what meditating is. Uh, sometimes we think it's like the Buddhist monks. I go, and you cross your legs and you go like this. Not necessarily. Meditating, the concept of meditation is basically to let go and to forget of everything natural surrounding you. So circumstances, situations, feelings, emotions, thoughts. Kind of going blank. Okay? And that's where they stop. Buddhist. Or other people. Christian meditation or Christian prayer is not to put your mind at blank. It's to make Him the objective of your meditation. It's to make God the objective of your thoughts. And so where I'm going with this, should we be able to, to let go of everything else, those thoughts, those feelings, just to kind of go blank? Yes. Why? So we can put our concentration on His person, on His spirit. So prayer or deep prayer, I'm not just talking about prayer like thanking for your food or praying for your day, but I'm talking about intimate prayer. Prayer is like meditation. Don't put your mind blank, but you're going to put your mind and your senses focused on Him. Okay? We got to make Him the objective of our meditation, of our reflection. So I want to give you four keys. Four keys, real quick, for you to be able to, to go into deeper prayer. Spiritual prayer, right? Not just physical prayer like we said, or mechanical prayer, but to enter spiritual prayer. Where it's a place where, remember what I told you, when we pray, what's the purpose? You're connecting your spirit to the spirit of God. Why? To get to know God and to align our being to Him. Then all that information comes into my mind, into my thoughts. That information comes into my feelings. And then I now know what God wants. Have you ever wondered, what did God, what do you want? I don't know what your will is. What should I do? What should I do about this? Imagine if the information came from within and it was just there. Now you knew what to do. Now all you have to do is decide to do it. Okay. So four keys for spiritual prayer, for deep prayer, if you only want keys. Number one, concentration. Concentration. Psalms 46.10. It says, Be still and acknowledge that I am God. That word still doesn't have to do like, you know, when we pray freeze tag, like freeze. You know, be still there is talking about Basically, the concept or the context of the verse is that there were people who were getting prosperous, who were doing good, who were moving ahead. And this guy was worried. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? How am I going to compete? Yeah, their armies are growing. And God says, be still. In other words, stop thinking, stop reasoning, stop feeling, and acknowledge that I am God. It's like a black church. The gospel, no, you went like, be still. All right? That's what be still is. So how do we put that into practice? When you go to pray, be still. If you actually want to do spiritual prayer, 
Set some time aside. Leave every distraction. So go away from people, go away from information. Take some, tell people, don't call me in an hour, or I'm leaving, you know, your wife don't bother me. Like, I need some time. And you're going to go and be still. So the first, get rid of the physical distractions. Now, if you're going to start doing this, I recommend, not that an hour, I'm, I'm not trying to give you a time frame, but for you to develop this discipline or get in the habit of doing it, start with an hour. And just go somewhere where nobody can bother you or where nobody's home or I don't know, figure it out. But just set aside an hour and leave everything behind. That nobody can contact you, where you don't have access to anything else, just where you can go and be totally alone and totally quiet, okay? So be still. Now, the first thing you're going to do, you go in there and you're going to try to be still. Now, usually what happens when you get rid of all exterior distractions. Now, and, and, and I'll throw one in there. Uh, with exterior distractions, for me, it's even temperature. Like, I have to dress properly. Why? Because if I get too hot, I get distracted. If I get too cold, I get distracted. So I even, even the way I sit, even what I'm sitting on, for me matters because I get distracted easily. You got to get to a point where you forget that your body's there, where you just totally disconnect, okay? That's, that's how I want you to be still. Then the second fight comes. And it's not just the exterior distractions, but the interior ones. Because now you start thinking, you, thoughts come to your things. I got to do this, I got to do that. Did I turn off the stove? Did the kids have food? Or my boyfriend gonna call me and you know you have all these things going through your head and I gotta pay the bills and that's the that's the hardest thing to do really to be still disconnect all of that how do you do it <coughs> remove the distractions and, and the way I do it for example if I'm thinking about too many things if I'm worried or whatever I just pray about it sometimes I, I literally just pray whatever's coming to my head so sometimes God I'm here you know but I'm worried about this and I don't know what I'm gonna do about that and I'm kind of and I want to I wanna just lay this at your feet. I want to get, you know, I want to, I just want to throw it at you because I don't want to be thinking about this. I just want to be able to focus. And then maybe I get the image of a girl in a bikini. And you know why? And I'm having bad thoughts, God. Like, this is messing me up. I'm getting distracted. I lay that down too, you know, because I don't want nothing distracting me. Whatever comes. You think he doesn't know what you're thinking? You think he doesn't know what you're feeling was distracting you? Just throw it at him. Throw your burdens onto me. He will give you rest. And do that because sometimes, I don't know if it ever happened to you, but say you're thinking about something or you need to send a message or there's something that you haven't done and you're trying to go pray and be with God and all of a sudden you keep thinking. It keeps coming back, right? So get rid of that. So now you have no excuses. And when you find that mental stillness, and I will tell you this, it's not easy. It takes practice. When you start doing it, man, you're like there five minutes and you're like struggling. That's why I said do it an hour. Why? Because if you don't set a time to it, especially a, good period of time five ten minutes later you're gonna be like okay i did it i tried i sucked i'm leaving but if you set an hour you're gonna stick to it doesn't matter how many times you lose concentration concentrate again it doesn't matter how many thoughts pop into your head get rid of them and go back to going blank and then thinking about god acknowledging god okay this is a discipline and a practice the more you do it the easier it becomes if you start doing this it'll get to a point where you could be in a room full of a thousand people and all the noise in the world and you just go poof and you zone out. I, I've been able to do that. And so sometimes you see me, maybe I'm there, but I'm not there. Like, I'm gone. I, I don't know where I am. Because I'm in that place. So it's just practice, right? But that's one of the first things you got to be able to do. 
find that quiet place with God. And quiet place is not always away from everything, but start away from everything so it helps you. As you develop it, you can do it anywhere. Just, you can go into your quiet place. So, number two, when you learn that concentration, and like I said, it's not just going blank. After you're able to go blank, focus on Him. And the way I do it, I usually just start praising Him from my spirit. So that leads me to point number two. Second thing about prayer. First was concentration. Second is talking. Is what? Talking. Not just thinking. Talking. Because thinking is meditation. Talking is prayer. And so when you start talking, when you're in that place, you're disconnected, no distractions, you're going to start talking. But this is a different kind of talk. I don't want you to say anything that's on your mind or anything that you feel. So nothing you've been thinking about or nothing that you're feeling. We already, we already addressed that. So you say, what am I going to talk about? Right? So this is the thing. There's, we have a spirit being. It's deep inside. And that spirit being, or in here, is where our longings are. Where our desires are. Where the desire for God is. Jesus calls it the womb. It comes from the diaphragm area here. I'll give you an example. Have you ever heard somebody that's in deep, deep pain? Maybe somebody just died or they just received terrible news. Have you ever heard them cry? You notice it's a different cry. They're not crying like, oh, yeah, I'm sad. Oh, I just got this. Where are they crying from? It's like they're being ripped apart. Have you heard that kind of cry? You're like, ah. You've heard that? And it, is, it gives you goosebumps, right? You're like, whoa. Have you ever heard something like that? Yeah. Their spirit's crying too. So when I want you to talk, is that kind of talk. And, and I'll clarify. Talking doesn't necessarily mean a lot of words. Sometimes when you're deep in prayer, the Bible calls it travail. Sometimes the only thing that's going to come out of you might, might be like a mourn, uh, a moaning or a yelling. Or a noise. Sometimes it might just be, yeah, just a noise. Like, have you heard in worship sometimes somebody just makes a particular noise? Or they moan or they groan, even crying. Sometimes you got so much pain buried in there and you don't even know it. And you're not thinking about it. But you go in the presence of God and you're doing this deep prayer. And a cry will come out of you like you've never experienced before. And you just break down and you cry in a way where you're being healed. Or groanings. So sometimes it just sounds. I remember one of the first times this happened to me. I was in deep prayer. I was seeking God. And the Lord touched me in such a way that I've never experienced before. It's probably one of the ways that I've experienced the presence of God more than ever before. And I got knocked out, wiped out. And I started crying and shaking uncontrollably on the floor for like three hours. It was insane. And I felt the love of God. I felt the embrace of God. I just felt God like I've never experienced Him before. And my spirit, it wasn't even my mind, it wasn't my heart. My spirit began to say thank you. And I said thank you for like three hours straight. So it was a one word prayer. Well, two in English. In Spanish is gracias. But in English, two words. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For like three hours. Now, if, if you pray very eloquently, that prayer sucks. You know, 
you're not saying anything. It's like, okay, dude, stop repeating. But it was my spirit praying. And you know, that day something happened in my life. Because before, I was never a grateful person. I always wanted more and more, very ambitious. From that day on, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life, I get up and I'm so thankful to God. I can't even explain it to you. If I just start thinking about God and His goodness, I cry automatically. Any day, at any time, I start thinking about it, tears start coming down my face. Because I am deeply, deeply, deeply grateful. That day I couldn't believe that He touched me. I couldn't believe how real He was. I couldn't believe the love I felt that day. I was just, thank you, thank you, thank you. You get what I'm saying? So what am I saying? Concentrate and then pray. But don't pray for your mind. Don't pray from your heart. Pray from your spirit, from deeper. And if you don't know how to start, stay quiet for a while. And it might just be a hum. It might be a noise. It might be a groan. It might be a cry. It might be one word. But whatever you sense deep down within, start letting it flow and let it come out. In this case, if you pray in tongues, it really helps. The Bible actually says this. When you don't know how to pray, the Spirit of God begins to intercede for you or on your behalf with unutterable groanings, with noises that cannot be comprehended. That's the stuff I'm talking about. So if you're praying in tongues, you kind of know what it is. But the thing is, we even learn to pray in tongues mechanically. Like the first time you start praying in tongues, it was from deep down. Now you just do it from your head. You're like, don't do it. When you're in this deep prayer, you know, have you ever prayed in tongues, whoever has spoken in tongues, where you're praying and you're not just saying like, but you're actually going like deep. It's like, and you kind of know because you kind of start getting aggressive. And not aggressive in the, the way that you want to punch somebody, but you're almost like, you know when you're at a concert, or maybe you're seeing a soccer team and they're about to score, and you're like, yeah, go, you know, you're all into it. That's kind of how it starts feeling. You start praying, and you don't know why, but you start moving, and you're like, man, you know. Because, because it's flowing from within. It's not from your head. It's not from your emotions. It's deep. How do you know it's deep? Because your whole being feels it. So you're praying tongues. You're doing, start doing it that way. Start going deep. So oh, I've tried about it. If you're praying tongues, some people will pray 30 seconds, one minute. If you want to start doing this, honestly, go pray for 45 minutes sometimes. You know, after 10 minutes, you're like, yo, I'm just wasting my breath. But no, keep going. Keep going. Press deeper. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Build up the intensity. One day, you're going to cross a barrier. You're going to break something where you, you, you connect. You're not only speaking in tongues, but you're connecting to the spirit realm. And that leads me to my third point. The third point is listen. So when you pray deep prayer like this, spiritual prayer, listen. Psalms 37, 7, it says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Wait patiently. Most of us pray and then we leave. And the Bible says, stay silent and just wait. How long? I don't know. Be patient. I will tell you this. Not every time that I do this does God ever speak to me or show up or do I have a very dramatic thing happen. No. But I still wait with expectancy to hear Him. And so, you go in the presence of God 
disconnect, you concentrate, you start speaking from your spirit. Now, if you don't speak in tongues, I will say this, sorry, I'll go back a bit. If you don't speak in tongues, that's okay. You don't do it yet, but we can all do it. Sag Scott. But your spirit still speaks to you. And so you will still get uh, kind of like a yearning or a desire or, or, or something, you know, that concerns your spirit, that's in your spirit. So let it flow. This is difficult at first. It's almost if I told you, like, if I just put a beat and I tell you, hey, freestyle. At first you'll be like, yo, 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 you won't know what to do, right? After you do it multiple times, the better and better you get. If he's just playing this beat and I say he starts singing a song, it's going to be hard, right? But if you practice, it, it gets easier to improvise. And that's why I want you to understand when I'm talking about speaking. The Holy Spirit of God, the Bible says, is bubbling up within us. So it, it's like a fountain. It's spontaneous. It's not practice. It's not mechanical. It's not something you rehearsed or even something you thought about. It's something that begins to flow. Okay? Now, when it begins to flow, I want you to do something. Have pen and paper handy. Buy a notebook. And you need to do this on paper, not digital. Because when you do it digital, I don't care how good you type, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to backspace, you're going to think if you got it right, it don't matter. Or the screen, and you get distracted. I want you to get a notebook, and I want you to start writing on paper. And if you have to look at it, it's fine. Just don't lose focus. Because sometimes ideas will begin coming to you, or they'll start coming. Or feelings, emotions will start coming to you. Or desires, or words. You might get a vision, or you start seeing kind of like a picture. Don't try to interpret anything as you're getting it. Like, don't be like, oh, what does this mean? Why am I thinking this? No. Whatever you see, whatever you feel, whatever you smell, Whatever comes, just write it. Start writing and just keep keep going. It'll it'll begin to flow. It's crazy. You'll just, just start going nuts. Ooh. Okay? Same when you have a dream. Just write it out. Don't try to interpret it. Just get it as as pure as you can. Because the moment you start thinking about it or trying to interpret it, you start contaminating it. You know, some of the stuff that God will speak to you is not it's not for now. And you might do something a couple weeks down the road or a month down the road. And you will know, oh, the Lord already told me about this. God had already shown me this. I already know what to do. And that's what I'm saying. Don't try to fit the word to your life. Let God apply that to your life. You're going to see how it begins to click and make sense. Okay? So, write it out. Whatever flows. How does God speak? Sometimes you can have dramatic visitations. For example, if you look at Moses, he was before the Lord, the Lord appeared to him. But how many times out of his entire life? Maybe six, ten, I don't know. If you look at Paul, two. So Paul once, Jesus appears to him, knocked him off the horse. Second time, he says, I was taken into heaven. So it doesn't mean that just because you're doing this, God has to show up and angels and you're going to go into heaven and you're going to have all these dramatic things. Sometimes, but that's not necessarily the case. Now, I have had visitations like that. I've had about six throughout my life. Outer body experiences. I've been taken into heavenly places. God has shown me things. Jesus has showed up in times of prayer like this, like I'm telling you. So it does happen. I want you to believe that it can happen. Hey, if it's in the Bible and it happened to a bunch of people, why wouldn't God be able to show up for you? He can. 
But the main way that God speaks, a word will come. Just a word. Did anybody here watch Manifest? Yeah, it's a series on Netflix. But, uh, I was watching one of the first episodes, and, and she hears a voice that says, save him. And you're like, save who? Sometimes that's how God speaks. It's actually very similar, funny enough. It doesn't make sense, but when you see the danger, you're going to know what to do. So sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's an image, like a mental picture. Sometimes it's a verse. A verse will come to you in your spirit. And you just keep repeating it, repeating it. Sometimes it's the actual, uh, you know, the head of the verse. In other words, it might say John 3.16, for example. And you might feel it, you might hear it, or you might see it. Write it down after go look for it. Sometimes it's a biblical story. For example, the name of the person will come to you, or the story. The Lord has spoken to me that way, and I just go Google, like, who is this person? Then I go read the chapters in the Bible, and I'm like, oh, that's why he's speaking to me. Okay? It clicks. So sometimes it'll come like that. Sometimes it might feel like an impulse, meaning a, 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 all of a sudden, a suddenly desire to do something. Like you'd be in that form of prayer, and... Let's so say, like, I have to do this. And you feel the need to do something. A random need to do something. He speaks that way too. Sometimes it comes as a desire. Not just the need, but like all of a sudden you start wanting something. Like, man, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. And you just get an idea in your head and you don't know why it's there. But you never thought about it before. Like for me moving to Calgary. I would never in my life would have thought of moving to Calgary. Ever. Never even crossed my mind. I didn't even know where it was. And one day I'm just like going to Calgary suddenly right um, sometimes it is like a voice like if someone was speaking to you very rare but it happens it's only happened once in my or twice in my entire Christian walk but there's more people there's some people I get it more commonly than others all right so a vision prophecy a dream God speaks. Be expectant. And I want, I, want to, I want you to know these things because that's how he speaks. So now you're aware. So if you are in that deep prayer and you sense something like that, write it down. Write it down. Don't think about it too much. Just write as much as you can. Afterwards, that leads me to the fourth point, which is the fourth and final. You go back to it and make a determination. In other words, if you got something from the Lord, you come out of that whole, you know, state where you felt he was speaking to you, you're done. Thank him. Begin to thank. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you're showing me. Thank you for what you're putting in my spirit. And now you say, help me discern this. Help me understand this. Is it for now? Is it for later? And don't, don't necessarily try to act upon it right away. Wait to get a conviction or a knowledge of what that's about. But what I do want you to do is make some sort of determination. In other words, never go to the presence of God, get something, and walk out like nothing happened. Usually when you go into the presence of God, you're going to feel like you need to change something. you got to fix something. you got to address something. you got to make a decision. you got to make a change. you got to go do an action. Whatever you sense, determine it. Write it down too and go do it. In other words, obey. Because God is not a chismoso God. Like He's not just going to be talking to you and gossiping and just telling you information. God is a God of action. God is a God of uh, 
of, of decision. And so having said that, whenever God speaks something to you and you obey and you move on the word, he will continue to speak to you. And the clearer it will become, the louder it will become. Does that make sense? Yes? You with me? So, my last thing, I promise. So when you're doing this, these four steps for say, first, let go of everything in your mind and heart. And whatever's distracting you, bring it before him first. Do whatever helps you concentrate. For me, it's instrumental music. It's, it's like a good buffer. I don't put music with words because I start singing or I start thinking of the words. It's already giving me information. So I don't want nothing with words. I just want to disconnect. But it, it's a good buffer. But, you know, clear out your mind, clear out your heart. Worship Him in a new song. So in other words, do your own worship. Sing your own letters. Sing your own lyrics. In your language or in tongues. That's fine. That helps to get the flow started. Right? Because like I said, it is a flow. And focus on Him. Begin to pray for whatever comes spontaneously. So as you're doing that, as you begin to worship Him spontaneously, whatever comes spontaneously, whatever kind of prayer starts happening. And like I said, it might be a noise. It might be one word. It might be full-on sentences. It might be praying for somebody. Whatever. But make sure it's a deep prayer. It's not just from whatever you were thinking that it's coming from within. Okay? pray in tongues begin to pray in tongues and like i said do this for a prolonged period of time don't do it for 30 seconds don't do it for five minutes do it for at least 30 minutes because it's almost like the more you start doing it the stronger the flow becomes and and the more you're building up it's like if you go to the gym it's not the same if you work out 30 minutes or if you work out five minutes or if you work out an hour session right so you got to stir it up stir it up stir it up like i said have pen and paper handy Start writing whatever flows without even thinking about it. If you can even write without even looking or without even thinking and just write, that's even better. But that takes practice, okay? And my last thing is during the day, there's a lot of distractions. I don't know about you, but for example, I get up and my wife is like hey honey remember you have to buy diapers for the baby and when you come back from work can you get a formula and we have to pay the bills and then my daughter's like daddy can you take me to the park later and then uh you know i have like 10 messages already buy, buy this material and you have a meeting at this time and so there's a lot of stuff on my plate and not on mine on yours i assume and so all of that is distraction so when you're going to do this set a time frame and what I mean by that do, do something different so what I used to do this is how I got started when I did this I began to pray before I went to bed and I used to ask the Lord wake me up I said Holy Spirit even pray this to me say Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Wake, me up. wake me up it's dangerous have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night all of a sudden just boom like randomly you get up and you don't feel like super sleepy usually what do you do we go to the washroom maybe you get some water or something to drink you go back to bed and you're like, you're trying to be lazy because you want to go back to bed. You're like, oh, it's three, man. What am I doing up? I need to go to sleep, right? Don't do that. As he wakes you up randomly, for me, when I started praying this, it started happening. was 3.11 every single day for months. 3.11 in the morning. 
I would be like, Pff. it was that time. I'm like, whoa. Every day, without an alarm. But my mentor told me, don't go back to sleep. He told me to wake you up. Go look for him. So this is what I want you to do. Like I said, there's a lot of distraction during the day. And even if you get up, because some people say, well, my day starts at 6, so I'm going to get up at 5.30 to have a half an hour prayer. That's good for like Bible study, but not for this deep prayer that I'm telling you. Here, you either got to go away, you got to go aside, you got to set an hour where you're not doing anything else, or do it early morning, a couple times a week. If you have to set an alarm clock, do it. Three in the morning, four in the morning, whatever. Get up, just sit on your bed. You don't even have to stand up or anything. Sit, or even lie, it's fine. And what I want you to do, start praying right away. Get into that flow of doing it spontaneously, automatically. Because you, you, when you wake up, you usually have nothing on your mind, nothing on your head. Or if you had a dream, but start praying right away. In my case, I pray in the spirit or in tongues. But I, I would pray just whatever is flowing. Okay? The book of Job, verse 33, 15 says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper. I sing for joy. Oh, no, that's not Job. Sorry. Uh, that's actually Psalms. <laughs> yeah. So Psalm 63, 6 says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper and I sing for joy. The context of that verse is saying a guy that gets up in the night to look for God. And he's saying, I get up to think of you and I get up to sing. Do this. The book of Job 33, 15 says, In a dream... In a vision of the night, one may hear God's voice. When sleep falls upon men and they slumber on their beds. So it says, in a dream and in a vision, in the night, you may hear the voice of God. Okay? So do it on purpose. Don't just let it happen by accident. But in the night, get up, sit up, start praying. Just let it flow. If you pass out, that's fine. But make sure you're up for at least like five, ten minutes. Okay, just start praying. Just, Lord, what do you want me to pray about? And just start flowing. Keep praying. It says you might hear God's voice. So you might, you might not, but you might. That's what the Bible says. And it says, while deep sleep falls upon men and they slumber on their beds. You know what slumber is? You know when you get up and you go back to bed and you know you're sleeping, like your eyes are closed and you feel like you're asleep, physically asleep, but you kind of feel like you're awake at the same time? Have you ever had that? Where you feel like you're aware and you're awake, but you know you're sleeping? Who has felt that? Go like this if you felt it. Who has never felt that? So everybody has. Okay, you're going to provoke that. Not just do it by accident, but now you're going to try and provoke it. So that's why you get up, start praying, and you're going to pass out. Like I said, pray for five, ten minutes. The Bible says this. Uh, it says, I slept while my spirit was awake. Or I slept while my heart was awake. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get your body to sleep because the flesh disconnects when your body sleeps. There's no thoughts, there's no feelings, there's no emotions. But your heart, or in this case your spirit, will be awake. And when you're able to disconnect that way and your spirit is awake, you connect to the spirit of God in a way that you probably never have before. And in times like this, I've had God speak to me in the night. I've had angels show up in the room. I've had Jesus show up. I've been taken out of the body 
uh, and been taken to heavenly places multiple times. And I've had dramatic God encounters, God experiences. And you say, oh, that sounds crazy. Read your Bible. It happened to everybody. The crazy thing is that it hasn't happened to you. Because if you're a Christian and it happened to every other Christian, why ain't it happening to you? So it shouldn't be a weird thing. It should be a good thing and a normal thing that we want. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Uh, you know Peter? Apostle Peter in the book of Acts. I think it's Acts chapter 10 maybe. But the Bible says that they were making lunch. He was hungry, but he was also tired. So he goes up to the terrace and he goes to pray. And when he's praying, he started praying, but he was tired and he passed out. And it says he entered into a trance. Another translation says he entered into an ecstasy. A better translation, he entered into slumber. So his body passed out, but his spirit was awake. And it says that a curtain opened up before him with animals. And in other words, he had a vision. Okay? That was Peter. And that's New Testament stuff. That's not even Old Testament. You know. no, New Testament, that's Peter. He uses the word trance. He uses the word ecstasy. He uses the word slumber. So it is a biblical thing, and it's a good thing. And it happened to a lot of people in the Bible, by the way. How do you think John wrote Revelations, for example? It was in a trance. Or it was in a state of vision. So the Bible tells us that you enter states of vision usually in the night and usually when your body falls asleep but your spirit is awake. So develop this discipline. This is only one of the things that I'm telling you today. It's not the only thing. You know, I told you different ways to pray, different disciplines of prayer. But now get up, start praying, start praying, praying tongues, worship, adore God. And if you pass out, whatever. If you keep praying, that's great. If you pass out, that's fine. Some of those times, your spirit will stay awake. And if it does, you might hear the voice of God. You might get a dream. One recommendation I'll make to you if you do get a dream. As soon as you're conscious that you got the dream, get up and write, up, write as much as you can. And you, right then and then you might say, I don't remember everything. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me remember. And as you write whatever you do remember, the gaps start being filled. And I do this all the time, by the way. That's what I'm telling you. So you might write the beginning, the end, something in the middle. And as you start writing everything out, you kind of start remembering everything else that happened in the dream. Like I said, don't try to interpret it. Just write it out. After it's all written, then you try to interpret it. I'm going to recommend a book to you. It's called Night Watch by a guy called Russ Moyer. R-U-S-S-M-O-Y-E-R. Because when the Lord starts speaking to you this way, you got to understand there's things that mean stuff in the Bible. Numbers, colors, animals. They have meaning. So for you not to just be like crazy, like what the heck am I seeing? Like I'm on shrooms. <laughs> you actually want to understand what it means. And so this book will help you do that. It has a glossary in the back of biblical terminology that will help you. And it explains to you how dreams and visions work. Okay? That's a recommendation. Russ Moyer, R-U-S-S-M-O-Y-E-R. Okay. You can find it on Amazon. It's probably like five, six bucks. It's very cheap. A good investment. Okay? And when you begin to pray this way, one of the things that might happen when you're entering into deep states of prayer, time goes by weirdly. Like I've prayed sometimes upwards of eight to nine hours, and I've thought it's been like 10, 15 minutes. You lose, because you're not in the body, right? You're not in the natural you're in the spirit realm and time is weird 
So, but, but one of the things that happens is when you disconnect, sometimes as that begins to flow, your body moves too. I don't know if it ever happened to you in prayer or in worship, but you might feel like you're moving like this. Your hands begin to move, your legs might shake, or you begin to move, you begin to rock back and forth your head. That's absolutely fine. Don't try to stop it or don't try to control it. Because your spirit doesn't just minister to your spirit. It also, remember what I said, everything that's in the spirit manifests also in a physical way. So you might want to move. Let it. And the reason is, that's one of the ways to worship God. And sometimes your body doesn't, or your spirit doesn't just want to worship with words. It wants to worship with movement. And so let it flow. Because if you hold back, you're cutting the flow. And with this thing, is all about the flow, okay? Don't cut the flow. So if your body wants to move, let it move. If you feel like moving, turning, whatever, do it. Yelling, screaming, do whatever, okay? Uh, sometimes you might pass gas. Like you feel like farting, burping, throwing up. Do it. And the reason why that is, because you might be getting delivered. Spirits, demonic spirits come out of people, and that's usually the way they come out. Or yelling or crying or screaming. Sometimes you don't need somebody praying for you to cast out a devil. Sometimes just in the presence of God, you're being freed. So if you feel like doing that, like don't run to the washroom and be like, oh my God, that's nasty. You know, just whatever. Let it flow. Boogers coming out of you, whatever. Let it flow. Okay?